Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Code 321 podcast. I'm joined today by Dan Batesy and Beth. How you doing? Good. Doing Great. good. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. So, Dan, welcome back to the show. We're glad to have you. Um, Beth, first time guest, uh, yep. long time listener. No, oh, kidding. yeah. <laughs> um, if you don't mind, do you want to just mention to the folks a little bit about how did you get into EMS and kind of how did you end up where you are today and what are you doing? Yeah. So um, I got into EMS because of my mother. I was having breakfast with her one morning, wasn't too thrilled with where I was in my life, wanted to give back to the community somehow. And uh, she suggested that I join the local EMS squad. We both burst out laughing because there was no way up until that point that I had ever wanted to be a part of medicine in any way, shape or form. Uh, And then I ended up applying they took me. I have no idea why. Um, and I kept showing up. Uh, so yeah, spent, I've been with the organization now for seven years, something like that. Um, and then that kind of snowballed into me being able to work with the state, um, in that I had all that experience and, um, it just kind of worked perfectly with the position that I'm currently in. So that's awesome. Great. Yeah. And uh, if you don't mind, what service level do you operate at right now? In the I'm currently in AEMT. Nice. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Cool. That's great. Um, and then what's your job with the state? What do you do there? I'm the EMS data manager. So right now, if there's any issues with siren or documentation, anything like that, I'm your person. I've got to imagine that there are sometimes issues with siren documentation. <laughs> One or two. Okay. One yeah, or two, absolutely. but we get it all handled and squared away. <laughs> great. Great. Um, Dan, how you been? Everything good? Yeah, really good. Great. That's awesome. Um, I know we were talking a little bit before the show, and one of the things I mentioned to you is this progression I've had as a EMS provider in the state system, and that when I first started out, I kind of you know saw the VT EMS logo, and I saw the protocol books, and I saw the website, and you know I renewed my license through the portals and did all these things, but um, it was always like this distant moon in the sky to me, this big thing you can see, and you know you kind of reference and everybody talks about, it and it's common knowledge, but. I didn't really know anybody that was in that system. And to be honest with you, I don't think I really knew exactly what it was that they did at the state EMS office other than recertify providers. And as, as we've kind of progressed in this business and I've got to meet you and, you know, Will Moran and Beth and, um, you know, some of the other Bambi Dame and some of these other folks in the state, I'm getting to see kind of the working cogs that are behind the scenes. So I'm so glad that you guys are here today because I think there's so much cool stuff you do that I don't think anybody really gets a chance to talk about. Um, if you don't, if you don't mind, Dan, why don't you talk just a little bit about kind of what you feel Vermont EMS is supposed to be doing for the state, and maybe talk about if you think we're doing that. Yeah, so that <laughs> that's a great question. It's a pretty expansive question, but um, but really important. I get that a lot, actually. You know, people kind of go, I know you're there and we've always kind of known that you're the regulatory guys and you have to talk to us when we get in trouble. But what else is going on? But I think it's really important. And it's one of my personal goals when I came here to make this uh, this organization uh, uh, applicable to people, the, to to welcome people, understanding what we do and understanding the role that we play and and our larger mission, because, you know, honestly, the, the biggest mission we have is to advocate for you, the provider, right? I mean, uh, um, we're the ones who are supposed to be looking out for your well-being. We're the ones that are supposed to be looking out for your safety. We're the ones that are supposed to be looking out for uh, your ability to do your job well. And yeah, we've got some regulatory functions in there. We've got to make sure you follow the rules and have a license and all that kind of stuff. But there's a whole lot more stuff that's out there, whether it's training standards, whether it's 
safety issues or lots and lots of other things, you know, um, we're going to talk about a really important one today, which is retention. You know, how do we keep people in this field? And this is the, the kind of stuff that we really want to be talking about. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. I think one of the things that I felt when I first started EMS about 10 years ago was kind of this, just a little bit of fear about like, oh man, that's like the state. What if the state calls me like, oh, I'm in trouble. Like, you know, and it, and it kind of felt like, you know, the state was the dad in the recliner with the newspaper just snapping it when I got home. And the more I get to know you guys, the more I realize that it really is a progressive organization that's designed to improve you as a provider and improve you as a service. And the few times I've interacted with the state, even if there has been, you know, some some work to be done, it's much more of like, hey, we want to see you succeed. Hey, we want to see you access the resources that you need to be better at your job. Or, you know, what does XYZ Rescue need to meet the needs of the people that live in XYZ town? Um, and I think I I don't think I ever looked at Vermont EMS like that until I started to get to know you guys. And I think that's something that young providers should remember is that, you know, you're there as an asset for us just as much as you are, you know, there to advocate for the people that we serve too. And they shouldn't look at you as just the disciplinarian because it's really a small part of what you do. And yeah. And I'm glad to see it that way. Cause I think you're absolutely right. It is a small part of what we do. And yeah, there's some discipline stuff that has to happen, but long before we get there, we do want to exactly do what you just talked about, which is how do we make sure you have the tools that you, you need to do the job? Well, how do we make sure that if there's an issue that we, we take the corrective steps that, that aren't about tearing up your license and kicking you out, but correcting the behavior and correcting the the training gap and correcting the things. But, you know, even more than that, it's, 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 it's more about sort of thinking about what the vision of a great EMS system is and how do we look at, at how do we work together and, and link all of the really smart people in our system together to, to, to have this vision for the future. And that's, that's, I think the, the piece that's most important. And, and, you know, I, I think, I've spent the last, I've been here almost seven years and I've spent the last six years of my job really trying to make those relationships so that people feel comfortable calling us and saying, Hey, how can you help us? Uh, or I've got this problem. I've got this challenge in front of me because it's a heck of a lot easier to manage that kind of stuff when we're getting that phone call ahead of time, as opposed to, you know, after bad things have happened. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're feeling that way. Cause that's exactly what we want you to feel. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, something simple, like I've, I've talked to some service heads before where they have a simple issue like, you know, maybe the budget got a little bit messed up and they don't have the ability to buy pediatric AED pads. And now they're nervous about what they're going to do. And being able to reach out to folks like you and bounce some ideas off them and just say like, hey, we're in this predicament. I got something going on with my budget. We bought these monitors, but I don't I don't quite know how this is going to play out on a pediatric code. Just having the resources to reach out to somebody and go work through that process you know, you have the ability to look at it from a unique perspective. And I got to imagine you'd much rather have that discussion than all of a sudden bring someone in and say, hey, you went to a pediatric cardiac arrest and you don't have equipment. To, Amen. You know what I mean? Amen. Like, like you know, great. I think you're right. EMS is hard, right? It's hard yeah. to be a provider. Yeah. It's hard to be a volunteer provider. It's hard yeah. to be a full-time provider. It's hard to be an EMS chief. And um, we recognize that. I mean, everybody that works in our office is an EMS provider. We're all licensed. We've all got tons of EMS experience out there. It's important to me to bring people into, into our team that, that have that uh, viewpoint, right? I mean, we've all sat where you sit right now and, uh, and we know some of those challenges. And um, I think it's really important that we have, that we, we staff in, in a meaningful way that can provide some of that experience. And you're right, exactly. How do, how do I help provide the lessons that will help you from stepping on the landmine that I'm sure I stepped on 
yeah. many years ago, right? And that's, and I hope all of my team members can do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so this will this will be a question for kind of either one of you here. Um, you mentioned a little bit about retention. Um, what are some trends that you're seeing in the state when it comes to you know what are provide what providers are entering this the you know the career what providers are leaving the career you know is there any sort of landscape you're seeing you know or yeah so so here's the thing that we know we know that uh, on any given year we bring in about 15 percent of our total number of provider licenses right so so we're doing okay with recruitment that's yeah. you know if you think we have about 2800 providers total in vermont we're bringing about 15 percent new people in yeah but the challenge when we look back uh, we did this a couple of years ago we look back at the last 10 years uh, of our license cycles and on almost every single year we lose nearly as many or more than the providers that we bring in. So on a, any given year, we're bringing in about 15%, but we're losing about 16%. So uh, in the last five years, four of the last five years, we've been in the negative by about one or 2%. And that's really problematic, right? Because you know when we look at our system and when we look at the challenges of our system, we don't need less people, right? I mean, yeah. we have bigger call volumes, we have expanding need, you know, look at the last two years of COVID and the public health work that we've been doing and the critical care transfers and, you know, all of these new challenges that are in front of us, we need all hands on deck. Right. Yeah. And, and the fact that we're losing even one person uh, is, is too bad, right? We need everybody to stay. We need everybody to be in place. And, and that's, that's the challenge that we're trying to address this year. Definitely. Yeah. Beth, anything to add on that one? Uh, just that, you know, with retention, a lot of what we're facing right now um, is issues with psychological safety. It yeah. sounds a bit funny, but, you know, feeling safe within your service, with your team, all of that, that seems to be driving a lot of um, unhappiness and why people are leaving. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was a crew captain at Colchester for a while. And that was kind of my first experience. I was, you know, fresh out of college. I was, you know, 20, 21 years old. And I had some experience coming from another, you know, fire-based EMS career department, you know, and that person I worked for was a fire-based career EMS chief. And he's like, okay, yeah, yeah. Just uh, why don't you take Thursday night cruise? And I was like, oh, great. Perfect. Like, what do we got to do? Run calls, write siren reports? Perfect. And what I realized was the challenging parts about that position wasn't the calls or the siren report. It was the personnel. Like, and it could be something simple as, you know, I had a, a college student that would come in and work with me. And first of all, now you have a 21 year old in charge of a 19 year old. I mean, that's already a challenge at base, you know, and then you have, you know, I had a, a person who was in their fifties who had been working there for 20 years, you know, and now they have a 21 year old person they just met who's in charge of making decisions, even though they're a higher service level, you know, it's that whole like balance of, you know, of who's the senior provider and who's been there longer and who knows the service better and the town better, you know, and there were definitely times where, you know, I, I noticed that there were kind of less than ideal interactions between the crew members. Um, and I think that's definitely a challenge. I, I don't yeah. think that was like something that was in my training booklet as how to like <laughs> get a 19 year old to get along with someone that's been there yeah. for 20 years. And, and uh, I've definitely worked for folks that, you know, have that mentality of like, this is the way it's always been done. Why don't you just keep your mouth shut and do what you need to do. And that is not an environment that I want to come back to. And it helps me kind of understand that 1%. Absolutely. Uh, we recently did a study with the state. We sent out a survey, asked a whole bunch of people for their feedback. Um, one of the questions within that survey was, what are the issues you have observed within Vermont EMS? 
Um, and when we looked at the results of that, that, that specific question, 90% had to do with issues of safety, um, whether that was abuse, discrimination, racism, it all, all of those 90% comments had to do with safety. Um, so it's just, it's, it's a problem. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting because those results have been replicated in a lot of places. We, yeah. the, the, the original research we did, we paired up with the UVM public health uh, school um, and uh, they helped us do some, some data gathering around this. And um, we stole that. Oh, we didn't steal. We borrowed it from uh, the state of Georgia and they had almost exactly the same results we did. And then South Carolina did a similar study. They had almost exactly the same results we did. I mean, we know that some people leave EMS for pay and for benefits. You know, if you go on to be a nurse because you can make a hundred bucks an hour. Yeah. You know, great. And I wish you well. Yeah. But what we found was that that was only about half of the people that were leaving EMS. And there was a whole other portion of people, a whole other, like about 45% of the folks that we pulled that were saying, I'm leaving for a different reason. So, I mean, if you're dumb enough to stay for the money, right. If, if yeah. that's not the reason yeah. why we've got to fix the re other reasons, we've got to figure out what those other pieces were and as Beth pointed out, there's there's some really stunning things that people are leaving for. Um, when we did it when, in uh, 2019, when we did the first round, 12% of the people who said we're leaving uh, said, I'm leaving because of people in my organization. Oh, 12%. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you know, that's that's the difference between a positive year and a negative year on any given uh, Vermont EMS licensure cycle. That, that's, that's way too many. That's 12% too many is basically what I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. You know, I, I cringe just hearing you say that because I know I can pull just out of the top of my hat five people that I work with that I could I want to bang out sick when I work with them just because of how they treated me and how they are and how they interact. You know, and like you said, when we're struggling to keep those that retention, that's just a silly reason. Yeah. You know, being condescending in the back of an ambulance is ridiculous. I mean, we're a professional organization. There's yeah. no reason for that. Well, you know, so we were at dinner. Um we uh, the, the EMS team went out to dinner uh, a couple of weeks ago and we were sitting around this big table and uh, we were talking about, we were doing this sort of little exercise about what are the things we can do to make Vermont EMS better. And we were just kind of spitballing different ideas. And um, one of the persons at the table uh, made a remark about sexual harassment and, um, and, and, you know, like not just sexual harassment, but like really bad behavior that yeah. they were being subjected to in the course of being a licensed provider yeah. in, a, in a service. And uh, Will Moran and I were both there and we kind of were taken aback by it. We, we said, you know, that's crazy. How can that be going on? And what was really interesting is that there were four women at the table and the four women at the table all just kind of looked at us and chuckled to themselves yeah. as if to say, this happens all the time. Yeah. And, and it does happen all the time. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and we all kind of came to the stagger, or at least I came to the staggering conclusion that like, we all know what the problems are, yeah. right? We know where these challenge, this isn't a surprise to anybody. And, and, and you can go down the tick list of, of problems that we have from a cultural perspective of, of public safety. And nobody says, Oh my God, I didn't know that was happening. Yeah. Nobody says, Oh, that's such a brand new concept to me. You know, whether it's bullying or harassment or sexual harassment or you name it. Um, everybody goes, yeah, that happens all the time. Well, at what point is somebody going to stand up and say, that's no good. Right. And, yeah. and that's the, 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 the genesis of the conversations we began to have out of that dinner was, well, if we're not doing about it, you know, if the state of Vermont EMS team isn't isn't saying we've got to fix this problem, we've got to take action, 
who's gonna, right? Who's, yeah. who's going to do this? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things I've noticed, you know, with our training business is um, early on, you know, we got started and all four members were BFD employees. That's just, that's how I got, you know, how anything gets started. It's at the kitchen table. You know how it goes. That's, that's, you know, so we start this organization and you recruit the people you're around. And I think one of the things I noticed when I came on as an owner is we were very homogenized. Like we would go to classes and we use the same mannerisms. We eat the same meals, we wear the same uniforms. We have the same walk, the same talk, just because that's who we work with all the time. And so one of the things I really wanted to prioritize is Let's go out and find people that are from different areas of the state. Let's go find people from rural areas. Let's find females. Let's put smart, driven females into a position of power and authority. And that way, when we have female students, they come in and they're like, oh, my goodness, Chris McCarthy, man, she's a powerhouse. Like, this is great. I'm going to I'm going to work with her. I'm gonna, this is awesome. You know, and we have people who, you know, are more soft spoken. We have people who are cerebral. We have people that are a little more abrasive and bark around. We have you know, um, you know, tall people, short people, all kinds of different people. And what I realized is when your team reflects the student population that you have, when you have students that maybe they don't have English as a primary language, when they see one of our instructors who's from somewhere outside the United States and that they had to come and learn English and start in this medical field, it gives them that kind of motivation to be like, man, this instructor's really doing it and I can do it too. Um, and I think if you're not careful, it's comfortable being comfortable. You know, you're used to what you're used to. And I think we got to We got to take a step back and think about how can we do something different to reach people that maybe don't feel like what we're doing is is perfect. You're absolutely right, Nick. There's actually studies out there that have proven that a diverse workforce is one of the best indicators of an organization's success. Um, it's astounding to look at how different thoughts and um, different approaches to the same problem can it can elevate a, a group of people and the work that they're doing in amazing ways. So, yeah. yeah. I'll take it a step farther. Um, and, and I agree with all of the things that were just said. Uh, absolutely. And, and I think it's really important for us to also be looking at recruitment in that direction as well. Right. Um, you're right. EMS is very white. It's very male. Uh, and it is traditionally been a little difficult to come into that into that profession if you're not one of those categories. I think we've got to break down some of those barriers. But here's the thing. We have good women. We have people in this profession who are doing a good job and we're pushing them out the door. Yeah. Right? We're, 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 we have uh, acceptable social norms. We have acceptable behavior that we, we all ignore. We walk by and it's pushing people out the door. And, uh, as long as every service chief in Vermont, and when I came here in 2016, I went to every service in Vermont and said, chief, what's your problem? Yeah. And they all said recruitment and retention. Yep. As long as we're saying those words, we can't lose those people, right? Yeah. We, 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 can't, we can't have a culture that says you're not welcome because you're a woman. You're not welcome because you're gay. You're not welcome because you're African-American. We can't have that, right? I mean, it's not just an ethical issue, although it's certainly an ethical issue, it's, it's a dollars and cents issue, right? Yeah. I mean, you, if we're not running ambulances, we're not doing our job. And, and we have people that are leaving simply because they can't get along in the station. And that's unacceptable. There was actually an MIT Sloan study that was done. Uh, they looked at 1.4 million Glassdoor reviews of organizations all over. Um, and of those reviews, they found that just as a starting place for comparison, compensation was in 16th place 
as far as reasons to not continue with an organization, to leave, whatever the case may be. Um, normally, most people think of pay as being the first thing. Like oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, I would have guessed. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would have guessed as well. But 16th place, uh, the first place was actually toxic culture. And oh, it yeah. turns out that was 10.4 times more common than pay. Yeah. So if we're we're losing people because of a bad culture, it, yeah. it's not good. And I think you also said something that's pretty important, right? Uh, people are coming to EMS because of that identity, right? Yeah. Um, and you're right. When I look around an EMT class after a certain time, you start seeing people talk like each other and walk like each other. If you go to an EMS conference, they all wear their uniform shirts yeah. and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Identity is a really powerful factor, and I like it, right? I, I mean, I geeked out becoming an EMT because that's it's fun and it's yeah. you know part of your tribe, you know, like that's a good thing. But I think what we've got to be thinking about is if part of being that tribe is toxic and it's pushing people out the door, we've got to change that identity. We've got to say, okay, so, you know, there's a little tweak that we've got to make here, or maybe a dr drastic tweak that we've got to make here to say, hey, look, we can, we can be all that and still welcome people in and, and keep people around. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind, I think I have a interesting idea here. I'll give you a little bit of like a case example and you kind of give me a little bit of feedback and i'm just curious this is something i actually dealt with in my ems career so at another agency you know i was a crew captain i worked with another individual very very driven she's actually a doctor now she was in college she was i think 20 21 year old girl and the agency we went to they would get fire response on medicis and we'd go to these calls and this individual was like the one i worked with was like a crossfitter very fit you know deadlift more weight than me, like very, very healthy, fit person. And every time they would go to, you know, load the stretcher up or help a patient get up, you know, some of these, these firefighters from this organization would say like, Oh, don't worry, sweetheart. Like, don't hurt yourself. Like, and it really, oh. really bothered her like bad. And I think she was, she felt like she kind of had to bite her tongue and not cause a scene. And once in a while she'd be like, Hey, no, no, I like, I got it. I don't need any help. And they just kind of bowled over her a little bit. And so one of the things I struggled with is, you know, I don't want to be archaic about it and jump in and like defend her like she can't speak up for herself because I think that's a little bit disrespectful to my own regard, you know, but I also don't want her to feel like she's alone. So that is a really hard thing to try to address and handle. And right off the bat, I'm going to say there is no right answer. Yeah. Officially, there yeah. is no right okay, answer. Right. What, what works for one person is not yeah. going to work for another. Um, that being said... I'm a woman. Um, and a lot of the time, the reason that I wouldn't speak up in a situation like that is because rocking the boat isn't necessarily worth it. It's yeah. not worth creating a um, bad interaction with someone else and then potentially having that um, cascade down and cause future issues unintentionally. Yeah. Uh, it's not worth the drama of in the moment. It's not worth the potential interagency issues that could occur. Yeah. Um, so I've found in for myself in situations in the past, it's just easier to either laugh it off like it's nothing or pretend I didn't hear it. As far as somebody who's there, there have been numerous studies that have shown that bystander intervention is the best way, like yeah. CPR. You know, yeah, if yeah, you yeah. get somebody who gets involved, yeah. it's going to have the best outcome. Um, even something like, hey, dude, that's not cool. Knock yeah. it off. Yeah. Yeah. It um, really helps. Totally agree, Beth. I think you're absolutely right. There's a guy named Bandura who did a, um, who did some groundbreaking research on this called social learning uh, theory. 
And basically what he suggests is that um, that behavior isn't going to get changed by something that Beth does or doesn't do as a woman. And it's not going to get changed by necessarily addressing the person that's doing that action. What we have to do is, is, is to create champions within the culture, right? We've got to focus on you, right? The person that's witnessing it, the person that accepts or walks by the bad behavior. And, and again, I don't think the example that you, you gave us is, is, is like outwardly a, 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 like a terrible intent. I, you know, I, I'm sure oh, yeah. that the person yeah. was well-intended. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think what we've got to be able to do as a culture is, is, is sort of sit around that table and go and decide what we stand for and what we are about. And I think Beth's hit it right on the head, right? The person that we need to work on is the guy in the room who says, hey, let her go. She's okay, right? That, yeah. that, that, that we as a culture say, hey, this is what we're about. This is, this is what we think about women lifting, right? Yeah. So we can't just be one person. It's got to be all of us influencing. You know, like I, I, I did a talk recently and we were talking about this. If you think about like in, in 70s TV, you you could see a lot of like homophobic jokes and racist jokes that were kind of on the edge. And, yeah. and as a culture, we kind of went, yeah, you know, that's fine, yeah. right? But when we as a culture started saying, that's not okay, right? Like yeah. at the dinner table, I have two daughters who are now, one's 21 and one's a teenager, and um, one's 16. And uh, if I say something wrong, they correct me. They're oh, like, yeah. dad, that yeah. is not okay. Yeah. You can't say that, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and okay, right? I learned from that, right? But that's, that's, that's our dinner table culture saying that's not okay. We've got to extend that same kind of processing to the EMS profession as a whole, right? So that, that the people in the room go, it's not okay for you to do that, right? And it's when that guy's buddies, and I don't mean just men, right? Yeah, but yeah. The, the collective community of EMS say, hey, let, let her lift, yeah. right? It's okay. She can do it. And, and, and just to add one thing, I've been a professional firefighter and been in a lot of fire stations, and I see a lot of big firefighters and fab firefighters and wimpy firefighters yeah. who are men yeah. who have no business lifting any yeah. more than a CrossFit yeah. women, right? And we yeah. routinely go, oh, yeah, you're fine, right? Yeah. We've got to move past that. Yeah. So- just for me personally, I, I don't want to speak for everybody within EMS, let alone, you know, every person who identifies as being female. Um, so for me, I see EMS as being a family. Uh, I just met you, Nick, today, and yeah. it feels like we're family because oh, we're part nice. of the EMS system. Yeah. Yeah. So if I was on a call and I was having difficulty lifting, having my quote unquote brother look out for me and stand up for me, that's that's really powerful to me um, to having to have that family, you know, be on my side and take care of me in a way, even though I may not need it, but it's nice to have. Yeah. So, no, and I think, uh, you know, just to close the loop, if you guys are interested, the way I did handle it was, uh, my inner fire service guy came out a little bit and I just kind of made some gentle joke about like, Oh, I'm pretty sure she can lift more than you. And like, just that gentle, <laughs> like coming from me, it lands differently than coming oh, from her. Yes. But it wasn't a like, Hey, leave her alone. Like, She's a, you know, she's not a, you know, it wasn't yeah. like that. It was much more of like just that banter. Super powerful. And it that's really exactly is. what the research will talk about. Uh, there's a lot of research around bullying in the, in, in various different professions, yeah. nursing and things like that. And, and, and really what the, what the literature will indicate is that when we influence the people who are in the room, not the bully, not the person who's being bullied, yeah. but the other people around them. That's how we make change. And I think that's exactly a good example here. Yeah. And I, I think it was pretty powerful because the other firefighters were there kind of had that little bit of like, oh, like, like, well, <laughs> like they got teeth, you know. And and the other thing I did, which I've, I've been working hard on ever since I started doing these leadership roles, is taking the time to 
like seek what the other person needs, which is hard because it's, it's easy to just assume what they want and just kind of think about what you would do, you know, but when we got back to the station, having that conversation of like, Hey, it looked to me like you got a little bit frustrated on that call when that firefighter said something to you, like, am I correct in that? And, and as goofy as it sounds to do that, I think just touching base with where someone, cause they might be like, Oh no, that's fine. Like I, I feel okay. And I don't want to make something out of nothing, but I also want them to know that I'm paying attention. I'm empathetic. And then if they do say, yeah, it is frustrating. That person always does that to me. I really don't like it. I've told them before to stop. You know, that's, that's my window to say something like, you know, well, I'm happy to help if there's anything I can do. Is there anything you'd like me to do? Because sometimes I've learned, especially being married, that sometimes they just <laughs> want to talk and they just want someone to listen and say like, yeah, that does suck. Like, that's really annoying that he does that. And that may be where they want it to end. And that's awesome that you do that. I mean, that feeds into the culture of safety and building that up. And it just a giant loop, you know, you continue to work towards making people feel comfortable. And that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. And and building champions within our culture is really important piece of this, right? It's part of that corrective. It's not the only solution, right? Yeah. But, but certainly we know that there's great power in being able to look out for one another. There's great power in having people that you can go to. I mean, if you look at research around mentoring and having people in your profession that you can turn to to talk about problems and talk about challenges, if you look at emotional well-being and suicide and all that kind of stuff, there is great linkages to how can I communicate with somebody else? How can I reach out for help? How can I um, uh, turn to someone else who might be a little bit more experienced than I am? I mean, I think there's there's great opportunity there for that sort of thing. Yeah, we've done a couple episodes on mental health. We've had, you know, Beth Jacobs and um, you know, Ashley Hodgetts and a bunch of other kind of like different pieces to it. Um, and one of the things that has transitioned about the way I interact with mental health over the last like five years is I used to feel like I had to be the guy to break down the door and give everybody a hug and always like constantly fix everything and run around and make everything right. And, and, you know, ask them what's wrong and make them talk about it. And I spent a lot of years trying to solve people's you know, challenges like that. And it didn't always go the way I wanted to. And I was like, what? Like, I'm, I mean, well, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to be there. I'm trying to do whatever. Um, and ever since I learned this concept of like occupying space where you're not necessarily like becoming abrasive and intrusive and dealing with their problems for them. Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, I had a friend who was going through something at work and I went over to his house and he was, you know, he was upset. I said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to fix your roof today. And it was, and it was like, I don't, we don't need to talk. We'll just fix your roof. And we just got up there and we're fixing, we're putting the roof cap on. And all of a sudden he's just like, this is what's going on. This was bothering me because it, I didn't show up there and say, you need to talk to me. You need to tell me what's wrong. What's going on with you. It was more like, no, you're good, man. We're just going to go fix your roof. Like, relax. You want something to drink? Like, let's just hang out. And then eventually it was like, okay, I feel comfortable and safe with this person. And I can express it when I'm ready. They're not pushing me to, to open that up. And that was like, ever since I started doing that, it's so much more effective. It's not even just, you know, being there for someone to talk. Sometimes when processing, just having another person around is is helpful. So that's that's, occupying space for others is definitely something that I still struggle with personally. Um, I'd like to think that I've gotten better about it over the years, but uh, it it's a wonderful thing in terms of helping people process what's going on and struggles that they may be facing. Yeah, so. Yeah, and if you look at our our the the culture of VMS too is built around that sort of partner relationship. We're yeah. partners on the ambulance, yeah. or partners on the fire truck, we're a team. I think taking advantage of that uh, of the those are deep roots that we have, right? It's part of our identity, and I think 
the more we can build those connections within that framework that we all like and appreciate and, and sort of espouse to already, that's, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. We, we kind of have this, you know, kind of like joke rooted in truth at work, which I think ties into what we're talking about, which is, you know, as you go through your career, you just find a crew that you get along with, that you respect, that treats you right. And you just, you bring them close and you let the rest go. And that's kind of, you know, where I work, we run, you know, out of five firehouses, we have, you know, almost 100 employees. And, you know, I don't get along perfect with every single one of them. But my crew that I work with, every single day I go in, I know I'm going to be, you know, mentally challenged. I know I'm going to be uh, intellectually challenged. I know I'm going to be supported. I know if I have a good idea, at a minimum, they'll listen and give me feedback on it. I know that if I have something that's a priority for me, personal, professional, whatever, they're going to do what they can to to do the heavy lifting and support me in that. And that is what makes me want to come back every single day is the calls are the calls, you know, your cardiac arrest to a splint, you know, splinting. I mean, being able to go in and know that that team is you're going to support them when they need something, they're going to support you when you need something and that they look at you like you bring something valuable to the table. And sometimes it's just a great personality. We have a guy in our firehouse right now that his best asset truly is he's so much fun to be around. He's always smiling. He's always happy. He always is there for you. He'll do anything for you. Um, and it's it's huge. You have a bad call or you're struggling or you come in after a long night or something at home. He's that guy that's, hey, man, how you doing? What's going on? Like anything I do for you today? You want to make lemon squares? Like, And it's just <laughs> it's so important to have that balance and know that, you know, everybody really does have unique value. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, uh, incredibly important. I think there's two things that you said there that are really important. The first is having a, a an inclusive culture isn't about liking everybody, right? It's not. It's no one is saying that we all have to hold hands and love each other 100 percent of the time. We just can't create an environment where we can't be around one another, right? I mean, yeah. that's and that's a different piece. Yeah. The other piece that I think is really important is that part of our identity is that sort of like no matter how much we dislike one another when the chips are down, we're going to come together as a team. Oh, absolutely. And, um, and I think that's part of this as well. You know, like you don't have to like when I, when I went, I used to be a paramedic in Syracuse and we had the little button on the radio that called the 1050 button and the yeah. 1050 button was I'm in trouble. Come help me. Yeah. And, uh, I, I really, I've always marveled at that, of how good that felt. If, if, if we ever hit that button, how many people would sort of drop everything they're doing, get on that scene, like firefighters, like municipal work, cops, doesn't yeah. matter. We, we dropped everything. And, and that was true. I mean, I worked in a department, there were like 300 people that worked in this department. And, you know, there's a lot of personalities that yeah. there's not everybody like Dan Batesy in that department, yeah, right? Yeah. But I'm really sure that if I ever hit that button, and, and I did on at least one occasion, that it, even the person that disliked me the most was coming to my aid. And, and I think that's the culture that we need to build here in EMS is we all don't have to love each other every single day all the time, but there's, there's real challenges here and we just can't, we, we've got to show up when people need us the most. I think I look at it just kind of like that family analogy you're talking about before, you know, my sister and I would bicker over everything. And, you know, once in a while, I, you know, she'd throw a block at me and I'd throw a pillow at her. And, but, you know, God help the person that starts picking on my sister, you know, when she's walking across the road and a car's coming, like you just go into, you know, super mode and take care of your family and do what you got to do. And then when you get back, you maybe make, you know, you maybe tell them like, what are you doing on the road? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Come on, look, use your brain, turn your brain on. But it's, you know, it's still that family mentality of like, you know, there's, 
there's a limit. I, th- I think there are organizations, at least that I've worked in, where sometimes it's a challenge for people to find that line, you know, and, and I, I've been at the table where there's this like healthy banter and you're kind of going back and forth and then somebody just does something that's just over the line and everybody's kind of like, ooh, what, what was that? Like that seemed like, you know, that came out a little hot, you know, or something right. like that. But but that's the moment, right? That's yeah. the moment where the table has to say, Dad, you can't say that, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. like if, if we can create that culture yeah. where where people are intervening and and in in, the, in that same vein, sort of standing up for the person in the room that's that that uh, took that heat, that's the answer, at yeah. least in my opinion. And I, I think one interesting change that I've seen as a theme in all the organizations I've been a part of, and even organizations that we just partner with, is it it felt to me like for a long time seniority was correlated with authority. It just always was. It was, you've been here for 20 years, you're going to be the chief of the department. You've been here for 25 years, you're going to be the chief of ops. You're going to be in charge. Oh, he's the 20-year guy. He makes the calls. And now something simple like, you know, if I go to a medical call in my department, I'm a six-year guy, but I might be looking at 25-year lieutenant who's an AEMT or an EMT. And I might be like, hey, man, we got to go. Like, this dude's in VTAC. Like, we need to go right now. Like, this is... and. For the organization, for those good people to make it to a position of authority and be able to back me up and say, hey, he's a paramedic. He's got good training. Trust him. Like, he's good. He's going to be good, I think is so important because, you know, you know how easy it would be to back up those 25-year guys and be like, yeah, he's a six-year guy. Just shut him up. You know, he's doesn't matter if he's a paramedic. You, you know, I had a lieutenant once who doesn't work there anymore once tell me, my ass has been in the seat longer than you've been alive. There's nothing you can tell me that I don't know. And that person was an EMT, you know, and, and maybe they have seen a lot more than me, but why can't we look at it as, Hey, your experience, you have something to offer me and I'm have this intellectual knowledge and I have something to offer you. Or Hey, we're a team, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I think, I think you guys are absolutely right. I think, um, you know, empowering those cultures and it's like the domino effect is everything I've read. It's, it's once that one person says, Whoa, that seemed like it was a little over the line. Everyone else is like, yeah, dude, like it was over the line. Like sometimes it just takes that one straw to break the camel's back and everybody's like, yeah, no, we noticed that too. Like that was a problem. Like we need to address mm-hmm. that, you know? And so empowering those brave EMS leaders. That's is huge. it. That's it. That's awesome. Not just the leaders though. I mean, empowering the people within. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that's a great point. I have several quotes that from the survey and um, I mean, one of them is supervisors harassing employees and people were scared to make complaints. So it's not yeah. just yeah. the leaders that that need to step up. It's everybody. Yeah. It's so. really not the leaders, right? It's, it's yeah. because the leaders, that behavior doesn't happen when the leaders are there, yeah. right? It's it's the everybody in the station. It's the champions, the influencers, and you know who they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's it's uh, it's the it's it's what happens when those leaders aren't there that yeah. needs to be fixed. Yeah. And it's hard to, I know, you know, some of the things I've dealt with in some agencies is what if the, what if the person that you need to go to is the person that is causing problems? You know, I've, I've, I've had situations where I've like, feel like I've really been wronged by somebody who's in a very high position. The complaint, even if it goes to the officer, it goes to the officer, it goes to the shift manager, it goes to this. And then it ends up with that person. That person just goes, yeah. And it just goes off the side of the desk. So what, you know, it's so nice when you do have someone good up there who's like, What's going on with that? That's not right. And they come down and they say, "Hey, you, the the twenty year captain, you can't talk to him like that. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if you disagree with him. You don't you don't speak to an employee like that. Like if you have a you have a qualm with what he's doing on a call, be professional. Use the chain of command. Follow your you know the the protocols and procedures for dealing with that. But you could just yell at him because you've been here fifteen years longer than that. That doesn't make any sense. 
Yeah. I hear that a lot too, right? (laughs) Um, uh, the, the chief is the problem or yeah, the most yeah. supervisor is the problem. You know, look, I don't have a simple answer to that. Uh, I hope that your departments are structured so that there are some mechanisms, whether it's a board of directors, whether it's a city manager, whether it's somebody else. Um, I, I think we as a state EMS office have some responsibilities to start teaching that a little bit, though. Uh, we may not be able to fix all of the bad apples that are out there already, but what we intend to do is start talking about leadership in a more robust way. You're going to see some programming coming out of our office in the next year uh, aimed at um, leaders who are currently in the seat and also people who intend to be leaders going forward. You know, the, as you know, the challenge is we, we tend to hire the people who've been around a long time, right? Yeah. And they get the job of being a leader because they're good providers or yeah. they show up or they live next door to the station. And, um, that doesn't always make you a good leader. And, uh, we want to give you some tools, right? We want to, we want to make sure that you actually know that, right? I mean, it it seems intuitive. We sit here and we go, yeah, of course that would be good if a leader came down and said, you can't talk to a person like that. I think there's legit a lot of people who don't know that. And I think the model that we've shown them over the years is not that, you know, that they were bullied when they first came in. So now they're a bully, right? They just, that's what they know. I think we can intervene in that a little bit. And I think that's going to come from some education and, and building that sort of on a step-by-step changing, you know, little pieces at a time. So we're going to work on that and you're going to see some programming uh, to that end. Uh, you know, I, I also think too, that I hope people will think of the stadium S office as a resource where you're in that spot. Now, again, I, I can't tell you that I'm going to solve every problem that you have or, you know, <laughs> intervene in every situation like that. But uh, I think we we do offer some, you know, I always say that we're the only one that doesn't have a, a dog in the fight, right? You yeah. know, we we can be the outside person looking in. And I think there are some times, you know, especially when we start talking about discrimination and things like that, where we do have a role in in taking some some more progressive steps than just sort of letting it go by. I think, you know, if you're being sexually harassed or, you know, uh, being discriminated by, you know, race or sexuality. I think there are some steps that we can offer uh, in those circumstances when you don't feel like you can't reach out to anybody else. Yeah. And I think back to what you were saying about, you know, having dinner with, you know, the, the folks in your EMS office and that chuckle. And I think sometimes even maybe we're not changing the entire world, but just having someone that feels alone in XYZ rescue and, you know, central Vermont, and it's the same crew of people that are bullying them all the time and just connecting them with, maybe it's just somebody like Beth who they just call Beth and say like, Hey, you know, I, I'm having a really hard time down here at XYZ rescue. And I'm not looking to flip the script and have Vermont EMS come here and put a padlock on the doors, but you know, who can I talk to? You know, and maybe it's something simple, like, you know, have you met Bambi Dame? Have you met Chris McCarthy? Like, why don't you go have a coffee with them and talk about it and, and see what's going on. And it might be something simple. Maybe it's, you know, maybe they take the lead on a training. Maybe they choose to do, you know, a diversity training and they talk about some of the things they've experienced that they feel comfortable doing that. And sometimes that type of thing is where people are like, holy crap, like, I didn't know that bothered you. Like, I thought like you like being called honey. And it's like, no, I don't. Mm. And sometimes, like you said, it's, they may not know that. And to, to some people, it's like, what do you mean they don't know that? But they might not actually know that calling a 20 year old girl's sweetheart all the time is not what they like. It doesn't, they don't like that, you know, and that's, that's something where uh, I think you guys might have a good role in just, just connecting people with someone else and, and feeling like you're not alone, I think is the first step to finding a way to be happy. And I can tell you having read all of the responses, whatever people are facing, you are not alone. Yeah. I can guarantee it. 
um, the responses have run the gamut and there are definitely other people out there that are facing whatever you are facing. Yeah. You know, at that dinner, um, Bambi Dame, you were talking about her a moment ago, she asked a really important question and she said, you know, Dan, who's looking out for those people, right? Who's looking out for the person that's not, that's not able to reach out to somebody else. And, and we sort of collectively all turned to each other and said, well, it has to be us, right? I mean, who else is there? Uh, and, and again, I can't solve every problem, but if, if we aren't the ones, if that first answer isn't, well, somebody in the EMS office could help me. Uh, I think that's gotta be our charge, right? That's gotta be what we do. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, we, I definitely appreciate what you guys are doing, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I know in this day and age, it doesn't always land well with me saying like, I've, you know, had my struggles at work too, but it's, it's, uh, it's there for everybody. You know, it doesn't matter what background you have. And I think there's folks that, you know, look at me and they're like, oh, well, you're a young, straight white male, you know, identifying that way. And you're probably like coasting through this, but it's, there's so much toxicity with seniority and masculinity and, you know, diversity and inclusion and all these other pieces of it. And I think a lot of people look at it as, you know, oh, we're trying to make this politically correct. But in reality, we're just trying to make a workplace that people like to go to because we can't run an ambulance out the door if nobody comes to work. I'm just trying not to lose 12% <laughs> yeah, of our exactly. population every single year, right? Exactly. That's what I want more than anything. <laughs> yeah, over, over, you know, and if it's something as simple as they don't like being called sweetheart, that's an easy fix. Come on, you're going to lose an employee over being called sweetheart. Let's just, let's think about how we're affecting each other. And I really believe, maybe I'm an optimist, but I believe in my heart of hearts that if you were to sit down human being to human being and you were to look at that person and say, I really don't like when you call me sweetheart. It really bothers me and it makes me not want to come to work and I'm going to turn in my uniform if you keep doing this because I don't like it. Yeah. In my mind, I can't imagine someone would be like, well, too bad. Yeah. Maybe defensively. I I want to be careful because we keep, we're kind of hovering around gender here a lot and and it's not necessarily a man woman thing here, right? I I mean, it's not. I I want a culture that you don't have to go to work and have somebody put their hands on you when yeah. it's unwelcome. I, yeah. You know, like, like that's just like really basic stuff that, yeah. that I think we can fix. I think, I think it's within our reach to change some of those things. And that's, you know, that if we're not looking out for it, who is? Yeah. And so, I think there's a wide variety of people who have a lot of educational experience. There's people that come from all kinds of backgrounds now. And, you know, if you're somebody that grew up in Vermont, you've been around the same people for your whole life, you may not have been exposed to these types of ideas, which is why I think the podcast is so important, because there may be people that they might not be able to sit down with you too. But listening to this, they might be able to be like, oh, man, like someone's doing this or thinking about this. I hope so. Yeah, which is really good. hope so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate both of you guys being here. Um, we'll definitely have you guys back soon. We'll talk more about it. Uh, is there any resources people should be on the lookout for as this kind of comes to fruition here? Well, so a lot of this is still our vision, right? And what we're trying to really look at this year is the theme of EMS week being that we can't lose anybody, right? That, that it's a theme of retention. And we're going to be talking about this a little bit more in the next few weeks, talking about some programming that we're doing, talking about some research that we're doing. And hopefully in the next year, you'll see some action coming out of our office. So uh, stand by is I think probably the best thing to say. Definitely. Absolutely. You know, and for those of you students that are going to Nets and are thinking about this, you know, I want you to know that we handpick our staff to make sure that they are comfortable taking feedback. If there's something that you don't like, my phone number is on the website, it's on the business cards, it's on every ad we do. If you ever have any issue at all, I want you to give me the feedback because I want to hear that and I want to come up with a plan that works for you. I've been in situations where I didn't feel like the environment was 
you know, a good spot for me. And especially with our net students, I don't want you to ever feel that way. You know, we've had feedback of students going to other programs and they experience that. And if you're getting that here, don't be silent and just let it let it go. Tell me and I will find we have so many people in our organization that are so from so many backgrounds. And most likely we have someone that may have been through something similar that can at a minimum empathize with you and help you, you know, work through what you need to work through. So don't give up on EMS over a toxic culture. Reach out, you know, and even if I can't solve your problem, I will find you a connection to someone who will find you a connection because there are good people in this profession that want to see you succeed. You know, and like Dan said, we can't lose you. So help us keep you here and, and tell us what you need. We want to hear that. So, well, thank you both. I really appreciate it. Um, real pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate being here. Same. Thank you, Nick.